Hello there, Glocal Citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I'm Florence Adu, your host, and I am back on the heels of a wonderful holiday in Jamaica. Um, just shout out to the Negrillians who welcomed us despite some storms from Elsa and just gave us a lot of sun and a lot of love. So I'm happy to have had that opportunity. And now I'm back in the grind of work, which is very, very busy. Much like my guest today, she's a busy woman who is based in the District of Columbia right now. She is the CEO of ISE International Group, which is a healthcare, health and safety coop company. And we'll learn more about that in our conversation. As a serial entrepreneur, she has launched over 14 startups across different industries from energy to fintech. The largest being a $92 million health insurance company for the District of Columbia. Her global experience extends to work implementing healthcare programs and system improvement initiatives with countries seeking strategic solutions, including Great Britain, Bosnia, Herzegovina, the Republic of Georgia, Kenya, Liberia, and the United Arab Emirates. Yvonne Cameron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Florence. I'm happy to be here and happy Friday to everyone listening. Hey, let's get started. Let's get right in. Tell us more. Tell us where you're from, where you are local, and what is your craft? Sure. Originally, I am from Panama, okay. uh, the country of Panama. I was born in the Canal Zone, the same area as the deceased Senator John McCain. Okay. So Afro-Latinx um, person. Mm-hmm. And I, I do consider myself um, first generation, although my dad was born here. But navigating the landscape of the U.S. and business and all those different things have really contributed to my global mindset in business, my global pattern in the way in which I look at the world. So right now, I have been living in the Washington, D.C. area for about the past, I think it's coming on 20 years. Um, I came here from undergrad and have been here ever since, and but have traveled the world, and I'm happy to be here, like I said. Okay, nice. So what would you say is your craft? I would say uh, my craft is I love a business, but underpinning business and global strategies interwoven in that, I have looked at how we as a people can live our most optimal life our healthiest life, and have looked for solutions in which I can develop or craft programs that are specific to looking at different disease sets, from looking at things that really affect our population in a greater disparity, like, for example, diabetes or HIV and AIDS or hepatitis or any of those maladies. That is my passion. But my craft has been as a global solutionist, looking at ways in which I can increase, improve, develop strategy for a set of unique problems for business owners, for companies, for countries, and looking at that in a way in which it would be effective in uh, making life better for global citizens. Hmm, interesting, interesting. So tell us a little bit more about kind of why the where, like how did you end up in Washington, D.C.? And then from there, what inspired you to move into, you know, I think there's partially kind of like a character ethic that people develop, you know, long before you realize mm-hmm. you're going yeah. to put this into practice. But yeah. so how did you find yourself in D.C., number one, and then also find yourself in this solutions space? You know, it's a funny thing. When I was an undergrad, I read this article about Washington, D.C. And basically the article highlighted, I will never forget it. It said, if you can make it in Washington, D.C., you can make it anywhere. And I said, that's a challenge. That is a challenge for me. I have relatives in the Chicago area and they basically were like, come over here. You know, everything's set up for you. You don't have to... And I'm like, no, I want a challenge. And, you know, 
you come from that mindset, I, I can conquer the world. And so I literally picked up with suitcases in hand, $200, and have been here ever since. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> For the challenge of it. For the challenge of it. That's right. Okay. okay. Yes. And so what part of DC are you in? I have lived in Northwest, Northeast. Funny story. When I first came, so I was like, okay, so where should I live? You know, what areas should I live? And people said, look, look at Southwest. And so knowing what my budget was, not having a job as of yet, I found myself in a part of Southwest that bordered Southeast. Okay. And so not the best area. Right. Um, And when my parents came to see that I was settled, they were mortified, but, um, but I made it. I stayed and through wherewithal hard work and having a sense of, you can't tell me no, but I can't do something. Uh I absolutely can. And I will. And Uh so essentially that was my mindset. And I, I can say while being here, you know, I've been on Capitol Hill as a, as a, uh, senior policy fellow. I was a Harvard policy fellow as well. I've been an assistant professor at Howard University and um, just worked at some great companies before branching out and and starting out on my own. So Mm -hmm. I would say this area has been good to me. Okay. Just note for my, my listeners, I think I've mentioned in the past that I lived in DC. So I don't know if I moved to DC because I thought of it as a challenge, but the work that I went there for was a challenge. DC was my first grown up location. So (laughs) after undergrad, I too went straight to DC and that was to be a teacher. So Mm -hmm. I taught in upper Northwest Mm -hmm. and it was, I want to say it was a great experience. I really, really enjoyed it. And then it helped to put in perspective. You mentioned policy. It helped me to put in perspective where I wanted to solve problems. You know, mm-hmm. I, I thought mm-hmm. that being a teacher was was a problem-solving place for me because, you know, I wanted to be able to give children an opportunity mm-hmm. that I felt that I had gotten from having great teachers, you know, someone who boosted me up and helped me to understand and be myself and be the best that I could be. So I wanted to be that for children. And then being a teacher in the classroom, I started to recognize that I could do so many things but it was this mm-hmm. other world that their parents were functioning in that was coming down on them that was causing them to to be less successful and mm-hmm. to to have those challenges so it was that their parents didn't have jobs it's that you know grandma was sick it was that you know my cousin is you know he's getting into mischief so you know all of those things and so that's what drove me to go into public policy and um, economic development as opposed to education mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have that that solutions mindset in common in that regard. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, what it taught me, though, is if you understand policy and you understand the way in which the government works, mm-hmm. you understand those kind of like fundamental things that mm-hmm. that that is applicable throughout everything that you do. So understand like policy, um, that is a great foundation and a great basis to Mm -hmm. understand the world around you and how you navigate to get from point A to point B. One thing I I also notice about us in the policy world is that there's this patience that you develop Mm -hmm. (laughs) to some extent because policy does not move very quickly. No, it doesn't. So it really is that foundational patience that allows mm-hmm. you to look at solutions and look at the people right. around you and, and kind of be more effective, I think, at, at focusing on how to optimize implementation. Right. That is key. Even in knowing in what you do, it's going to take three to five years to change the mindset. Exactly. So change the way in which something runs. Exactly. Um, that's key. That's yeah. key. Yes, 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 yes. Interesting. So tell us more about healthcare. So you move and you've you've kind of established this niche in that space. Tell us a little bit more about how you developed that that expertise and, and that passion. Well, my story is a bit personal in the sense of one of my first companies that I worked with was specific to Black physicians mm-hmm. and understanding their world, understanding how they treat uh, their patients um, with such compassion. And that 
shape me and form me. And especially when I had two critical instances happen in my life when my dad was really sick with uh, multiple myeloma and feeling a sense of frustration, uh, feeling a sense of just powerlessness in his medical care and treatment, not saying that he didn't get good care. I, I believe he did receive good care, but there that spurred additional thinking, additional questions and how to improve healthcare, even for when we don't have all the answers, how can we look at making sure that not only if you have this disease, how do you live the best quality of life given a diagnosis, given the constraints and navigating the U.S. healthcare system, which is very, very complex from a policy level. So I've worked in healthcare from a policy level all the way to boots on the ground where I'm actually going to like projects, what's defined as a project and talking with mothers about their children and their healthcare and making sure they're enrolled in school. They have, you know, just the basics, the basics, understanding and making a difference in the quality of life for people. That is what has spurred my passion from my dad being sick, from me um, going through a personal illness as well with my thyroid. And so really just wanting answers and digging deeper and knowing that I was in this, this construct of the healthcare system and hearing the day-to-day issues and problems and way in which these providers were doing everything they could to bring about quality of care for their patients and they in turn facing roadblocks and stigma and discrimination and all of these things has led me to no matter what I do, it has a health construct to it, health component to it. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like I said, it's about improving quality of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen some of the worst instances of botched care. And I have heard some of the instances of cover-up, right? Mm-hmm. And so being privy to some information that others on a day-to-day basis wouldn't be able to hear. So that has always spurred me to how can I create a better program initiative that speaks to not only changing the quality of life, so the outcome of healthcare for that particular person, but how does that education, that thought process happen for them? How do I contribute to that so they would take better care of themselves. So Mm -hmm. it's a 360 for me from being boots on the ground to developing programs to, you know, presenting before healthcare leaders, policy leaders, before foreign governments on, this is how we can solve this particular issue. Mm -hmm. So the early work of, you know, boots on the ground, the second step of policy and then developing those programs uh, have led me to, you know, understanding this at a global level and working with governments on a global level, because there are some particular issues and things that are the same, uh, that are basic across humanity, right? And so using that to understand this is how we develop solutions, global solutions for a global Mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. I think some of it's probably obvious, but what have you found as consistent across, you know, developing countries, you know, more advanced countries, et cetera, in the healthcare space that are consistent and that should be or and are being prioritized or are at the foundation of being able to build a program and, and solutions ground up for healthcare? What I've found is, you know, there are some um, basic fundamentals, right, mm-hmm. across humanity but not one solution fits mm. every population, even if the same, even if that population is the same youth, even if that population, let's say, is um, you consider that population black. Well, is mm-hmm. that population Afro-Latina, Latinx? Mm-hmm. Uh, is that population Caribbean? 
Is that population mm-hmm. African? Is that population? There are nuances across every population. Group. Yeah. And I see that a lot. I see that a lot in, you know, there's this group. So we're going to do, we can take from this program that we've already done and just put a label on it and market it out to this population. And that never, ever works. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that never works. And what I find and what I love to do is when I go into a country and when I'm working globally, even going into a company, it's understanding the, I love to understand what makes that company run in the way that in which it's running. It's not only your environment, it's the leadership. So mm-hmm. there are different components to developing that right solution for that for that right mm-hmm. company, that right population. And so for me, it's a study, it's a listening, it's a looking at what we have to work with, what's our base level that we have to work with, and how can we build upon what we know, what our built environment is, what that thinking of leadership is, and how do we take those fundamentals that we have and apply what you've asked me to bring, the global solution, to this particular problem to ensure that there's success given what we have, where we can aspire to, what we've done, but what we're going to do better, mm-hmm. what we're going to change. How can we change the environment for the better? So even like across healthcare, across program development, across global solutions, across building companies, it's what's been done, but what can, how can we make it better? We always can improve upon it to make it better. So in that context, tell us more about how you came to create a health insurance company in the District of Columbia, which I think in, in many ways is mired in red tape okay. regulatorily, you know, in terms of being able to provide that service because of the, you know, interesting not state kind of status. I don't know if that played into it, but, mm-hmm. but particularly in the context of Washington, D.C., establishing a health, a health insurance company. Tell us more about that journey. So I have been so fortunate to work with some great people, um, some great business partners along the way of my journey. And one of the business partners that I worked with, we were looking at, there was, um, I don't know if you know or remember this uh, CMS, Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, um, they developed a proposal in which they wanted to change the way health insurance companies function, right? They wanted to make it better. And what do we do? We make things better. So working with uh, one of my colleagues, we looked at the population in DC, who didn't have care, how we would reach them, what it would cost, what was the regulatory red tape that you spoke about, who were the players, who really were the gatekeepers for the District of Columbia. And as such, as gatekeepers, did they have the best interest of their citizens at at the foremost? And so I would say this this venture, we were working in Oklahoma and Washington, D.C. at the same Mm. time. And so we stood up this, like I said, $92 million health insurance company within six months. Mm, wow. So with actuarial data, with healthcare data, knew that what I brought to the table in the sense of understanding healthcare from boots on the ground all the way up to, you know, working with fintech companies to look at their software and, and, and using that in healthcare in all of the different instances and in, in going to a place like uh, Saginaw, Michigan, and looking at how the town would be supported by a healthcare company to create like this smart town, right? This smart healthcare town, just in all of the great things that I've, I've had the, the fortune, the great fortune to, to do in healthcare, the sum of those experiences and developing a healthcare company that would serve the people 
that would improve upon itself with data, looking at the data, looking at outcomes for, for patients, how do we do that and make it the most effective healthcare company that has existed, not only in the district, but looking at other health insurance companies across the board, what they do well, what wasn't done well, and the sum of those experiences in developing something different. So launching that, however, the problem or the poison that I saw that really disturbed myself, my business partner, was a lobby, an insurance lobby that did everything in their power to stop these health insurance companies like the one we created from moving forward and existing in specific states. So that was the lobby, knowing policy, knowing mm-hmm. uh, the arm of lobbying and, and the important part it plays in D.C., how that was a part of the, the picture that for, for us was really, really disheartening. So, so basically you're saying you were set, you were poised, you were serving a, a market and that you were kind of being limited. I mean, what I'm seeing here is that the lobby was divvying up the country to say this company can serve this place, this one can serve this place, this one can serve this place. So if you weren't like the big Kaisers and the um, the Cigna's of the world, then you had to kind of fight for your, your grounding because obviously they have more resources to be engaged in that space. Right. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've said about healthcare is a lot of time you see a square peg being forced in a round hole mm-hmm. um, and time and time again. And that's, you know, that's, that's essentially what we saw with the lobby, with the insurance lobby and essentially not essentially improving healthcare but saying, this is what we have. We already have it. Why are we going to change it? Mm-hmm. Why are we going to change? Yeah, sure. We'll make improvements, mm-hmm. but it works. And that is limiting when you go about developing a solution or putting a band-aid on a problem like healthcare in the U.S. Right, right, right. So you, you were limited in your ability to innovate, basically. So here's a question just on the, the formation of a health insurance company, just Thinking about my understanding of them overall, was this in the post-Obamacare or in the midst of Obamacare? So how were you placed in terms of, was it on the marketplace? Were you working with employers? Give us a little bit more of how the evolution of insurance company plays out in for consumers in a market. So essentially what drives healthcare and what drives you know insurance companies is looking at your risk, it really all comes down to the risk pool. Who are the people who may sign up for this? Have they been to the doctor within a year? Will we find underlying conditions that are expensive to treat? So it it happened during, it's been pre-Obama, post, during. So it's it's during all of this time. And like I said, with the sum of all of those Mm-hmm. Um, experiences and working in in working in healthcare, working in business. So essentially, the way in which insurance com- companies work is looking at that risk pool and dividing the risk pool up with those that you already have within your company, within the insurance company that are accessing services, those that are in he- are healthy. So during the whole what they called Obamacare, when they were talking about you know, 20 somethings to sign up and we want, you know, the younger population. That's because it's assumed across the risk because let's, you know, figure out what is it going to cost and what are your services going to cost? It's really risk plays a, your risk plays a big part of that. Right. So without getting too technical, that's what determines, you know, your cost and determines if this service is going to be approved, determining the different levels of care. So it's spreading that risk out across your, think of it like a credit union, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of in that sense, an insurance company does. Mm -hmm. You've got this pool of people, you know, you've got this reserve 
Um, you've got this amount of money. You've got these people who need a loan. You've got these people who, you know, are saving or, or investing. You've got these people who are needing additional financial services. So it's that kind of concept in healthcare, if that helps um, mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. it, because I don't want to make it too, you know, too complicated. Sure. Sure, yeah. sure. So, so that's the way in which risk and that thought pattern from a health insurance company is evaluated as far as cost. So mm-hmm. with the health insurance company that, that we created, it did look at risk, but there was a way in which to elevate risk and to elevate what was already there working with employers, working with, working with those who have not routinely been insured like like when you work for a small nonprofit, you may have, you know, I've run a small nonprofit and grew it to a global brand in two and a half years. And so understanding the different nuts and bolts and how you can make sure that people are receiving their best, the best optimal care that they can at their price point. So we were working with a number of different niche markets that I looked at that typically means healthcare, doesn't typically have it, was in that risk pool that could be shared. So so those were some of the determining factors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Understood. Let me take a little step to the side mm-hmm. and ask you my global speak question. So this is where I ask for a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your global experience and why or how you came to value it as global speak. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say um, finding my fit. Right. Hmm. So I've been I've been talking about finding my fit for a number of years. And to me, um, finding my fit is understanding and knowing and looking at the world in a, in a way in which we as entrepreneurs, leaders can come together and, like I said, find and develop strategies and solutions for global problems. And understanding at the, at the end of the day, there are so many different ways in which you can garner revenue, right? And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be this competition in which I'm not going to share with you because if I tell you what I'm doing, if I tell you what I know, you're going to take my idea, you're going to run with it, you're going to make money off of it, and you're going to leave me behind. So, that is the antithesis of finding my fit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Finding my fit is working with like-minded individuals who understand it's a big world, mm-hmm. right? There are a lot of problems, solutions that need to be brought to bear for the, the world that we're living mm-hmm. in. And my fit are those who come alongside, understanding that, knowing that, and we work together in a way in which we know at the end of the day, at the end, that we develop those solutions, we improve our world as we know it, and we, at the end of the day, make revenue. And it gives us a good sense of, I love what I do. Mm. I keep moving forward in my passion. So that's finding my mm, I like it. That's a good one. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So you have found your fit with ISC International. I have found my fit with ISC International, but continue to look for others or accept others into the fold, okay. so to speak. Okay. So, you know, everybody talks about their tribe and, mm-hmm. and yes, that's part of that finding my fit yeah. is accepting others and and trusting and knowing that we collectively can work together and and solve and solve world issues and and, and bring to bear mm-hmm. uh, solutions mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. spoken like a true serial entrepreneur of course mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I, I said that because let us tell us more about where you are today with ISC and what what you're working on what are what are some of the 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 things that you are focused on both domestically here in the U.S. and internationally that that are, are grabbing your attention? 
Well, um, I love, 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 love nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. them. And love the whole sense of philanthropy. Love how you've got entrepreneurs who just really are looking to do the best, to do the right things, to do, to, or really at the end of the day, looking to solve problems. So where ISE is, is, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because I've worked in nonprofits and I've come out because I'm like, oh, I gotta, I, I have to, you know, earn more because I want to give mm. more, right? Mm. Or this particular issue is, I know there's a solution here, like drones. I uh, am fascinated by drones, have been studying drones for, it's going on over two years mm-hmm. now. And before the pandemic was about to, to take my drone pilot certification. Mm. And so there are areas in which I know that we can use the technology even around Bitcoin, even around AI, even around drone technology, looking at innovation, right? This is where ISE is now. Let's look at innovation. How can we take something that may be used for, for example, you know, when you think of drones, you think of the military, you think of Department of Defense, you think of... I think of movies. Oh, yeah, no. I have one for, for my media company. So I just think of... Oh, okay, okay, right, right. Or weddings yeah. or right Event. ways in which you can use drone technology, but you can use drone technology in healthcare. Yes. Um, and there are some innovations that I know that ISC can bring mm-hmm. Because of how we worked in healthcare, right? Like I said, from boots on the ground all the way up to working with global mm-hmm. leaders addressing healthcare within their within their countries, looking at ways in which innovation is used to advance what we're doing, how we're doing it, bringing about those solutions, but in a way that is much bigger than a company, right? Mm-hmm than just what ISC can do, but looking at this in a way in which we can change the global landscape of a particular industry worldwide. So that's where ISC is now. And one of our, our tagline is where business, where innovation and healthcare meet business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where ISC is now. And some of Like, for example, working with a fintech company, looking at their their financial software. And so I was tasked with, okay, global solutionists, let's see what you can do with taking this fintech healthcare and how would you, what solution would you develop that would allow us to play in the healthcare space, right? And so ISC's, solution is taking that that could look for that fintech software that could look for uh look at fraud and abuse out to the 10th generation how can we use this same concept and look at planning for outbreaks detection and treatment of disease Mm -hmm. like ebola like even with covid Mm -hmm. with covid 19 Mm -hmm. This same sort of software could have been used to detect those kind of hot Cluster, spots. Yeah, diseases. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but we, you know, they, they're known as clusters, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But I like to call them hot spots because you you you're detecting them much earlier sure. because you're you're going out to the tenth degree mm-hmm. and you're finding these these clusters or hot spots much earlier looking at using the same software that goes out to 10 generations, iterations, and looking at what you have within your community, what healthcare resources you have in in your community to stamp out what I call hotspots that would not lead to Uh hotspots. So that's the kind of innovation that ISE brings to bear. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for those kind of ways in which we can bring continuity. What you said is coop, mm-hmm. right? So continuity of operations, 
Continuity of operations means meaning that your business, your country, your project will not have a halt because of their COVID has mm-hmm. happened, right? Because we put we have put the things into place, we've developed those solutions, we've looked at your company from A to A to Z, we've looked at your project, we've looked at the way in which you're running, and we bring innovation and we overlap innovation onto your business practices, your healthcare practices, so that if something happens where shutdown again, you can continue running mm-hmm. because you have put those stock gaps in the place. Mm-hmm. 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 Particularly now, I mean, and I was hoping we'd get to the the, the present time, the pandemic, pandemic planning and innovations and, and initiatives. So in this time, in the last year, particularly around the, the COOP activities, what have you seen? What, what kinds of tools are you using? What kinds of new clients are you attracting for that service? You know, it's an interesting thing where I've seen the greatest disruption, mm-hmm. right, from COVID has been in two areas. One in education yeah. and two in the food service industry, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's unfortunate because I have looked at and worked with chefs, right, Mm -hmm. previously Mm -hmm. in Coop. And, you know, there's the thinking that everybody needs food, everybody needs to eat. And so nothing will ever happen Mm. our industry or the service that we provide. And we all have seen how that has been just a detriment where we're not even seeing the recovery of restaurants in their, in their staffing, even in their, something as, as basic as their workers. Yeah. Uh, This, right. So this is where continuity of operations is critical, Mm -hmm. right? It's critical. It's critical across all industries. And that's, that's what attracted me to, it's another kind of tool that I use in my, spectrum of okay global solutionists what can you come up with today Mm -hmm. right what strategy what part of um this do you see how do you see it different and what do you see in which innovation can can be like Mm -hmm. overlap Mm -hmm. what's what's taking Mm -hmm. place and again in education we i think there was something on the news the other day in which they said hey in the fall, the kids are in school. They will be in school. Yeah. It, if there's another shutdown, whatever, it's going to be there. There will be school. And so another one of my colleagues and I developed a, a safe programs that was specific for schools. How do you implement, operate, plan for, run a program that when you're really in charge of and overseeing and protecting these little lives, some little, some, you know, older, but what do you do to ensure that your school will continue to run? And so that is another area in which, you know, I really had not thought about education before, you know, you're hearing these reports about, you know, kids not learning, they, you know, they've lost like 2% of the school-age population, like they can't find them. Where did they go? And this is another area in which continuity of operations is critical, is key. A lot of times, you know your area, right? And you know your niche and you know well. We have blind spots, mm-hmm. right? We, we have things that we, we never have even considered. And that's what coop comes in and allows you to make allowances for if something happens, if something man-made happens, or if something, if there's a natural disaster, how do we continue to offer? That's people in that jail. That's the tool that I offer my clients mm, mm-hmm. in the sense of all the other things. Yes. Innovation, we need. Yes. We will develop those those global strategies, but let's look at the continuity of mm-hmm. how 
you will continue to operate if something like the COVID happens. Nobody really thought about how to the degree in which we've now seen. Right. Because there have been the U.S. government, they they run their coup plans in. Yeah. They, you know, they are, they're always thinking of if, if, if something yeah, like. Yeah, apocalypse. Yeah. Right. Happens. Mm-hmm. Right. We know that we will do X, Y, and Z. But even in that, even in understanding that, knowing that, there still weren't allowances made for mm. true continuity right. from start to right. finish. And that is, like I said, that's a tool that we offer and it goes across industry. Yeah. It is yeah. universal. So to, to get back to your question, that's, that is one of the, along with all the other things, that is the one thing that the one tool or service that is applicable throughout that that at a company has has initially just changed us Mm -hmm. right changed the dynamics of our company right right so would you say you know um as an entrepreneur myself you know you write these business plans and you put your strategy together I haven't been in the academia of, you know, higher education in terms of, you know, business training and all that stuff, but in your experience or in, you know, your circles, have you started to see that the academic institution is now creating modules that are focused on coop in, you know, business school? Because this is, this is like fundamental to business now. Like we understand that there are so many elements that are outside. Sure. You have market crashes, this type of thing, but But for something like a pandemic, for something like a natural disaster, are we now seeing more of the educational institutions focusing on teaching that tool? Or is that something that you might be interested in moving forward with? I'm seeing that we still are operating by the seat of our pants in some, some, some instances where we are not looking at what history really is taught us, right? Mm -hmm. We're not really looking at it from a 360-degree perspective. Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, that's that's the way that that I look at that everything. Mm -hmm. As a person that is, you know, or or a company that is hired for making sure that you are developing these, these big, ticket big picture strategies, you have to you have to step back and do your analysis and look at it from 360 degrees because you want to make sure that every area is covered. Mm-hmm. But what what I'm seeing is, well, Virginia did this, so Maryland we're going to do this, or DC we're going to do this, or wherever state, whatever state, we're going to do this. But for the type of solutions that we need for something like the COVID that shut the world down, right? It takes it it takes a stepping back from your particular industry. And it may be what healthcare, it may be education, it may be, but it's you need you need, I believe that you need to incorporate coop experts. I think you need to incorporate global strategists or strategists in moving forward because the world in which we know it, I know for me, doesn't feel as safe as it once did, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I'm operating under a whole new set of parameters. That's the way in which I'm looking at it and thinking about mm-hmm. it because the world has fundamentally changed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The way in which we're doing things has fundamentally changed. So because I developed those solutions for you, I've got to fundamentally change and make sure that I'm now looking at the world issues, problems from this perspective of we've got these new dynamics. People still, you know, are hesitant to go back into the company we know that the Delta variant of COVID is spiked in all 49 states, mm-hmm. right? We know that the Delta variant 
is precipitating lockdowns in different countries. Given all those different variables, we've got to look at things in a different way and look at that 360 degree picture and incorporate continuity of operations in in everything that we do. And I know that um, there are some great organizations like Black Emergency Management Association who are who have been pushing the concept of coop to inner cities. Yeah. Because if you mm-hmm. have something like a riot, yep. that the whole continuity of operations plan needs to be implemented for that particular town. Yeah. Um, like what we saw in the protest worldwide. Mm-hmm. What was the coup plan? What was that continuity of operations plan? Or something like a riot. Mm-hmm. Or something like a protest. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's critical. There are some organizations that, you know, like I said, that I believe that are on the leading edge of really understanding it and understanding it well. And I think ISE International is a, a, a company that understands it and understands how this tool can be integrated in education, in, you know, for towns, for countries because of the different dynamics that we see each and every day with global unrest, with the rise in climate change and what we're seeing across the globe in incidences with volcanoes and flooding and, and hurricanes. And so all of this, it speaks to, it speaks to all of this in the world in which we find ourselves. Today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is a good uh, segue into my mindset hack question. So tell us, what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? So this is one that you actually can imagine or one that you know of or one that you practice. Before I get out of bed in the morning, right? I, I call it, I command my day. I set the course of my day through meditating, praying, through thinking through or sl- what I call is slotting. I slot what I what. I know that I want to accomplish for that day mm-hmm. and how it's going to, what tool do I need from myself, right? What tool do I need to bring to bear and what solution will I bring to bear on that particular thing that I'm going mm-hmm. to do for that mm-hmm. day? Um, so I, I command my day. I think about my day. I pray over my day. I speak over my day, the things in which that I say should happen that day, mm-hmm. right? Because that's commanding your day. And before I go to sleep, uh, I do the same thing. And I set the course for that next day. So it's not, you know, anything like really innovative, but it really, really works. That visualization, that talking it through, that understanding, here are the tools that have been placed in me, here are the tools that I'll be releasing this day. And these are the outcomes that I want to see this day. Hmm. I used to have such a problem with insomnia, like a really bad problem with insomnia. And that was because I wasn't releasing, right? Mm-hmm. I was just taking just, in all of the, mm-hmm. right, what I needed to do, how was I going to do it? And I wasn't, it was just a circle in my head. Mm-hmm. It was just a circle mm-hmm. that played in my thoughts. And so, like I said, through really bad, really bad insomnia, I've learned how to, you, you, I command my day, but at the same time, I start from that night before mm-hmm. and set the course of that. You set the course of it the night before. This is what I want to. Now, does it always work mm-hmm. where my day is just as I have envisioned it, spoken over it, you know, meditated over it, prayed over it. No, it doesn't always happen that way. But that that particular tool has done a lot for me. And that is one of the practices that I don't ever see abandoning. And that I, in those that I mentor, make sure I pass yeah. that on to them and, and ask them to try, you know, try for five days, try for a week. See yeah. how we live in a chaotic world, right? And mm-hmm. if you're not careful, you can jump headlong into your day, into the chaos. And at the end of the day, you look up, what have you accomplished? So, yeah. you know, that's a bad yeah. pattern to, to yeah. establish because 
you're expending all this energy, but what are you really accomplishing? So right. um, that's how that kind of hack, so to speak, yeah. works. Yeah, works. Yeah. So you're not like in this jumping into the chaos of the world as we know it, but you're, um, for me, I, I must have order. I, I, if there is, my environment has to be in order because it, mm-hmm. clutter affects my thinking, clutter. So that's why yeah. I have set that practice into play. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good one. Good one. The power of intention setting, basically, you know, in a, in a nutshell, but I like the idea of commanding your mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this. How do you measure impact? You know, it's a funny thing that you that you asked that. And, and I, it seems like I knew you were going to ask that question. But impact is measured differently for different things, right? So, mm-hmm. little story. I was with a little person this weekend, little people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, children. And one thing that I heard the kids speaking about was fear, right? They were speaking about fear, fear. a lot. And I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. How did these babies pick up knowing about fear like this and living their lives based on fear? And I'm like, wow, when I was their age, I was like fearless. You know, I would like, you know, attempt all kinds of things. And so with the fear that I heard about even going down this like um, bridgeway, right, because it was shaky. And um, the uh, little person said, I'm afraid and, you know, I'm not going to do it. And I'm, you know, so the other little person went down the bridge and this person, little person said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So I talked to him and I taught him a little thing that I say, if I'm afraid, right? This is what I say. This is what I do. So the next day um, we were at the same spot. They wanted to go back to the same spot. And the little person said, I am going to not be afraid today. I'm not going to be afraid. And I'm going to go down this bridgeway and and I know it's okay. That has stuck with me. That impact stuck with me because the child did. And was so proud of themselves and cheering and this is great. And so he said, I'm not going to be afraid anymore to go down these kind of bridges. That's the way in which you measure impact and set intention happens every moment throughout your day in which you decide mm-hmm. to do. For me, that, mm-hmm. that's the way that I mm-hmm. take it. No matter what I do, that it may be a uh it may be like in this instance a matter of just talking to someone and telling them about you know, what I said or what I did to planning for a major global project wherever mm-hmm. part of the world. Setting the course of your intention and knowing that because you're setting the course, it starts there, that it will lead to an impact. And it may take a hundred different steps to get there. With what you have, you can end up here. It starts with that intention that you set that leads to that impact. So mm-hmm. for me, impact is measured in, in different ways. And it can take a moment to get there, like it did with this one example. Or it can take, like, for example, growing a nonprofit to a global brand in two and a half or two and a half years. Uh you daily, you, you know what your end goal is and you make sure that each and every day you're intentional and you set that step in place and you know that you will get to that impact that you want. Um, so, so it's, yeah. there's, you know, it's no one easy. Answer. Yeah. No one right. size. Right. It's, it's, it's custom right. to some extent, but it's the process that you mm-hmm. have understood mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. works. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. So Yvonne, we've talked all about, and you kind of talked a little bit about the Yvonne that's not in the office and, and, and managing global solution is, 
But tell us a little bit more about you outside of work. Um, are you a reader, a watcher, or a listener? I am all of those things. I am okay. avid reader. Um, I missed last year. I said, you know, I haven't read enough because I was so busy with the, the shutdown. It 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 forced all of us to step back a moment with with COVID. Mm-hmm. And you know, I at first I you know you're like, okay, it's, I'm going to be more productive because I'm confined, right? But at the same time. I was like, I, I need to step back. And it, like I said, it forced everybody to step back. And I mm-hmm. rediscovered my love for reading and have been throughout my, as a young girl, an avid reader. So I love reading. I love listening to people. I love hearing their thought process, what makes them tick, what they love. I say you have to be a great listener to be a good gift giver. And I love giving gifts. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so what have you, so what are some of the reads that you've, you've read in the last year? Um, I've reread some of my, you know, business, the, my standard, you know, business books, millionaire mindset, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. a lot of different concepts in, in business and innovation, looking at how other successful entrepreneurs how they operate, how they set the course of their day, how they mm-hmm. um, measure success, how they get to where they are, where they are going. But at the same time, I've all, I've read fiction, historical fiction, or or uh, biblical fiction, or just when I know that I need to I need to take a step back because I've got a big project coming up and I've got to really think through the solutions. Mm-hmm. I'll take a moment just to kind of empty out so that I can fill back up and be ready. Next. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to yeah. take that, that step back. Nice. Um, nice. So um, offline, I'll, I'll ask you for some okay. titles to add to okay. our show notes. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Yvonne, this has been great. I really, really appreciate the time that you have dedicated to speaking with me and telling us more about your very unique space amongst my global citizens guests, because I've, I've not really, had someone who's so focused on the solutions and particularly continuity in the context of where we are now. So I'm really happy to bring that perspective to the conversation. And so before we sign off, do you have any last words for our listeners today? Um, So you asked me, you know, aside from, you know, work and, you know, what, who, who is that, you know, Mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. And I love, like I said, I love giving back. So I'm affiliated with a number of nonprofits that I lend by my voice to, my time to, um, my volunteering to. So that's that's the other part of me. So what I would leave with the listeners, you know, we sometimes we're so busy chasing success and we're so busy chasing money or that next big contract or that next big whatever that um, you don't take time one for yourself and two for those around you Mm -hmm. to really cherish your family and let them to help you kind of balance your equilibrium right when you're hard charging and you are so focused it's good to have those that you can fall back on and things that you can fall back on. Like, you know, just reading something that for, for pleasure for, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day that will allow you to kind of do like a brain dump and leave all that you're taking in. You're able to leave that there and be able to process something new. So, you know, and it's good to not take yourself so seriously. Mm. We live in a world that is just, when you look around, you're just like, wow, there's so many problems and it need, the world needs so many solutions. Mm-hmm. Time, where's your joy? Where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding that peace? And that is so critical during this time and especially as an entrepreneur. Right, 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 right. Well, thank you for that. Those are great last words. Mm-hmm. 
Well, listeners, this has been another episode of Local Citizens. You can catch new episodes each and every Tuesday at www.glocalcitizenspod.com and wherever you get your podcasts. That is, again, wherever you get your podcasts. You can share, subscribe, leave us a comment, suggest another guest. We're open. So I'd love to hear from my, my audience. So until next time, bye for now.